Welcome to Buy, Grow, Sell, the podcast for entrepreneurs looking to acquire, grow, or exit a business, hosted by Simon Bedard. Hey there, it's Simon Bedard here. If you're brand new to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast, then welcome. It's great to have you on this journey. Since its launch, I've interviewed many entrepreneurs that have bought, grown, or sold a business. And in some cases, they've completed all three steps and started all over again. Our goal is to share the stories of business owners that have traveled at least part of this cycle so that we can learn from their experience. Whether it's the dizzying heights of success or the hard lessons learned through adversity, we get to the heart of what drives success and how to apply these lessons on your journey. So join us for the best insights, interviews, and inside information on how to buy, grow, and sell a business straight from the entrepreneurs who've lived and breathed it. My next guest is Scott Schindler, a businessman and keen surfer, proudly from the town of Sawtell in New South Wales, Australia. Scott was the founder and CEO of Renet, a prop tech business focused on residential real estate. He started the business in 2000 with just one single property listing. But by the time Scott left the business in 2017, Renet managed over 900,000 properties and over $1 trillion in real estate across Australia and New Zealand. In this episode, Scott shares the one thing that was his core focus as he built his business and all the challenges that come with selling your business to a global media giant. He talks about what steps you can take to double the value of your business and how other companies can learn to scale. There's a lot to learn from this episode, so I'm sure you'll enjoy it. This is Scotty Schindler. G'day, Scotty. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Simon. Great to be here, mate. Mate, thank you. I'm really appreciative of you uh, making the time. It's, um, you know, I know when I first saw your profile, uh, I was quite excited to, to hear about your background, a little bit about who Scotty Schindler is. So, uh, mate, um, obviously everyone listening has heard a little bit of an intro, but but it's always nice to hear it in uh, in the words of the, 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 the guests. So, mate, do you want to kick us off and just give us a bit of your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, look, I guess there's several different versions of a background but when it comes to the you know the business side of things I am lucky enough to have gone on a journey of a startup to the you know business development entrepreneurial journey and the full exit and you know I did the whole cycle in in 18 years so I was very lucky yeah that's awesome that's awesome and uh and mate you're a good New South Welshman yes from the uh the beautiful town of Sawtell no doubt uh and you know for those who've seen your profile know you you like your surfing yeah, well, you know, I didn't surf much in the 90s because I was too busy working, right? I guess I was doing my apprenticeship. And uh, the, the goal was to, to build a business that gave me the lifestyle I wanted. And that was my primary goal. You know, I was always entrepreneurial, but I, I really had a goal of creating a lifestyle. And I, I pulled that off. I pulled yeah. it off. Mate, I love that because it's uh, for those who've listened to the program, um, you know, regularly will constantly hear us saying, you know, none of us are actually born to do business. We're born to live our life. So, you know, the, the most fundamental question we all should be asking is what kind of life do I want? And then, you know, build the business as an asset to deliver that sort of outcome or that goal. So um, I love hearing you just saying that off the off the cuff because it's, it's clearly something that resonates. Absolutely. Just on that note, you know, I came up with a slogan, and I'm sure it was because of a TV show, you know, strive for healthy, wealthy, and wise. And uh, I'm sure there was a TV show in the 90s, and there's also one of the American presidents or something said something. 
along those lines too, right? But I had a midlife crisis when I was 27. And I said, well, I'm going to start building my own business, start building my own company, start building the lifestyle I wanted with balance. And that was healthy, wealthy, and wise. And it's still my mantra to this day. And uh, when I did an interview for Google, so I, I had to talk for their entrepreneur. It's called um, Startup for Entrepreneurs, right? Anyway, long story short is, I was talking about striving for healthy, wealthy, and wise, so I trademarked it. So I've actually, not that I don't want anyone else to use it, I want everyone to use it. Get some balance, you know, work hard, play hard, balance it out. Healthy, wealthy, yeah. and wise. It's it's funny, you know, like it's, uh, I've, uh, you know, healthy, wealthy, and wise, three core sort of points there, and I see so many analogies like that, you know, when you talk about balance in your life, you know, one of the ones I've always sort of been a believer of is, you know, life's a bit like a three-legged stool. You know, you've got your work life, you know, your personal who am I, deep intrinsic stuff, and you've got family and friends and these kind of elements of if you don't manage these three things, if one of them is broken, the, the, the stool falls over. You know, and you can look at that sort of same analogy, I think, with, with even with your life, right? I mean, there's your actual physical health, your mental health, your, you know, there's various elements where if you're not managing one, you're either the stool falls over or you're going to have a sit on a very wonky chair, right? Or you just have to be prepared to make those sacrifices for so long. You know, so there's only 100% of Scotty, and if he's going to put 80% of something into into something, whether it's business or pleasure, well, there's not much room for the other things, right? So if you're gonna, if, it's okay if you're making those sacrifices. You just need to be aware of it. And then when you don't get to go out with your friends on a Friday night because you've got business commitments, well, that's because you were doing it for a reason. Or if you're just going to yeah. spend all your time with your friends and not do business, well, so be it too, right? You just can't have both, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's good advice. I think there's a lot of people who probably still need to hear that lesson, but uh, (laughs) yeah. Mate, you you obviously, um, you know, one of the big focuses I'd love to chat to you about today is, you know, you founded the company Renet. Tell us a little bit about that, you know, and and, and perhaps even start at the beginning. What what gave you the idea and and what what kicked it all off for you? So I'll give you a little bit of a long story. This will take you like a minute. And in high school, I wanted to get into computers because I saw it as really smart. So this was back in the 80s, right? And then I I, <laughs> I did the computer elective for six months and they were a bunch of nerds and I thought, this isn't for me. I'm nowhere near like these guys, right? But I still thought it was a smart thing to do. But I did learn how to touch type and I did learn computers. Uh, you know, I've got no idea what it was, DOS at the time probably. But anyway, long story short was I then did my HSC woodwork assignment in um it wasn't handwritten it was typed up because i could and they didn't like it the teachers because it wasn't handwritten it was only a couple of years later they all got penalized if it wasn't typed but anyway that's another story <laughs> i got penalized anyway so the then i got out of that um i started working and in the 90s i sold insurance and i ran sales team so i started building software which is really just spreadsheets but it was software at the time right and uh, that ran sales teams. And it made me, it allowed me to work more with the people instead of the numbers because the numbers were managing themselves. So I could just work with the people and build the relationships with my team instead. Bottom line is I was one of the top managers. So I was selling that software to the other managers. Wow. Anyway, after, after 10 years of doing insurance, I thought, well, I'm going to get back into IT. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I left the uh, insurance business. Well, mentally I left at the start of 2000, but I physically left in March 2000. And then there was the big tech bubble crash in April 2000. You know, the, everything with an I or an E in front of it was, you know, a dirty word. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the, the, the Murdochs of the world were running around saying this whole internet thing is not going to last. 
And I thought, man, what am I doing? You know, I've quit my job. I'm starting this. And I was already just about to pull out of my first attempt at a startup, which was a medical website. So that was, I started as a bit of a side hustle and that it wasn't that it didn't work. It was actually the partnership I had didn't work. Mm. So it could have worked. Um, I look at all the medical stuff online now, like we were, we were sort of starting that off, right? Just as a concept. Anyway, so I, I basically I went through six attempts over two years and Renet was the one that worked. So it was the, uh, call it the sixth one if you like, but there was sort of three I had to go at at once and the, and the Renet was the one that worked. So that's the one I stuck to. And I thought, wow. So that was two years of trial and error trying to create a, a IT. And it wasn't, I wasn't trying to create software. I was trying to create a business that evolved around the systems I wanted in life, you know, through time duplication and business judo and all those things I talk about today. And that was a dead set goal of mine. It wasn't an accident. Mm. And I had to have something that did those things, especially around time duplication. So that's the two-year journey I went on to start up. Just, just on one other thing, it took another two years. Well, until September 2003 was when I realized I had a company, I had a business, I actually had something. So it took nearly four years all up from the want to the result. Yeah, wow. And and I'll step back for a second because I think that's a really important point. So you said you, you're on your, you said six businesses before you, you know, six attempts. Six attempts. attempts. Yeah. Tough, yeah. And, and it's funny because I think we all hear this um, expression a lot out there that, you know, you've got to fail often and fail fast and all this sort of stuff. And and, and I, I kind of get that, but I also sort of half feel like that mantra out there gives you this underlying assumption that you actually have to fail before you can succeed. And I'm not sure I actually subscribe to that. What I do sort of see coming through in in other guests that I've got, and I'm I'm feeling the same vibe from yourself here, Scotty, is not so much that you had to fail to succeed, but that you were just consistently willing to have a go. And if it didn't work, that's fine, but keep going. And and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but does that is that, am I reading that right? Sort of. I had to get out of the medical one because the partnership was so much so that he was doing nothing, I was doing everything, and I went, well, this isn't going to work. This isn't a partnership, yeah. right? And there was four of us involved, a couple of website designers, and I was sort of, you know, I was happy to be the front man, but he was going to do things. He just never did. So so that didn't, I guess it failed, but it wasn't a failure of the business. It was just a failure of the people. Sure. Um, so anyway, so I didn't mind that model, so I thought I'd do local ones, and, and I just couldn't see the traction of that one long term for all the things I wanted to do. I started doing networking, as in computer networking, and then that just seemed like I was going to be a mechanic you know, out, out repairing things like if it broke down and the first client I had with that I didn't do. But, you know, the reality is after a year of doing that, I then, you know, no money and my wife wasn't happy and all that sort of stuff I was trying to learn. Um, I started looking for work. I started looking for jobs. So I lost confidence in my ability to be able to own a business or do a business or, you know, maybe I can't get going. And then, you know, not only did I not get a job, I never even got a job interview for the jobs I applied for. So anyway, a few months goes past and I started buying. I went in on May 2001, I went to the Gold Coast with my grandmother and I was walking around the shopping center there, Pacific Fair, and I bought two books, one on PHP and one on MySQL. In other words, online databasing and online software. And that was the change. I came back, started playing, and I, I wrote a real estate software package or solution. I wrote a, a car yard solution. I wrote an accommodation solution. And I thought the accommodation one would be the go. So I thought, well, I'll just finish off this real estate one because I had a few clients. I'll just get this up to the point where they can self-manage, and I'll go back to the accommodation one. And I, the accommodation one had a few clients. The car yard one had a few clients, but the real estate one was the one that took off. So when I, I didn't fail the other two. 
In fact, if I was smarter, I would have been able to do all three. But anyway, <laughs> sometimes, you know, being a jack of all trades isn't the best thing either. So I, I'll never know that. I'll never be able to go back in time and go, well, what if I was the Airbnb? You know, what if I was, you know, the car sales as well as, anyway, long story short was Renet, Renet got traction. I focused on the one that was working and I could set myself up through that. So I did. And that was the two-year journey of that. So when you talk about failing and failing fast and all those things, whilst I agree you should have a go, right? So as a surfing analogy, if you're not falling off, you're not trying to turn, right? It's not a, It's not called standing. It's called surfing. You're supposed to try to do turns, right? And, you know, it's the same in business. You're supposed to try things. And, you know, I, I don't know if I called them all failures, but I, had, I certainly had six attempts. And for whatever reason, they just didn't work or the one that did work was Renet. So, I, in fact, Renet I started in February 2002. That's when I went, hey, I think the real estate one's going to work. I'm going to start a business and, and let's create that, that actual entity called Renet. And that was 2002. So, and, and I'll, um, I'll get you to talk us through Renet a little bit and give us the basic for those listening who have not heard of it or don't, don't understand that sector. So we'll chat on that in a minute. But I, one of the things I'm, I'm interested in is you seem to have had a sense of what the ideal model should look like for you, um, both, I guess, in terms of how you want to live your life, but then how do you, how do you shape that business model to deliver that life? Yep. And I'm really fascinated with that because I think a lot of people get into business because I used to sell widgets for this company and now I'm going to sell widgets for myself because it's what I know, as opposed to whether or not that delivers the right model and life and outcome for me. So can you talk me through that a little bit? Because it sounds very much premeditated. Oh, it was 100% premeditated. So, you know, in 2018, I woke up one morning and went, holy shit, everything I tried to do in 1999 worked. I managed to pull that off. Like, Wow. And it hadn't hit me because you, when you're doing it all, you're just assuming everyone's doing it all and everyone's doing the same things. And they were quite unique sort of philosophies that I had in business models. You know, some people call me a trailblazer, and I certainly didn't think I was at the time. I thought I'd missed the boat, let alone a trailblazer. Anyway, <laughs> but it was certainly all premeditated. The, the way I wanted to build the business, the way I wanted to build the products, the way I wanted to build staff, the way I looked after clients, 100% of that was premeditated around some really simple business principles. Really simple. And um, you know, I'm a D-class student. Everything has to be really simple. <laughs> simple systems I can follow, <laughs> clients can follow, staff can follow. Simple stuff. And, yeah, so when you ask me if it was premeditated, it was 100% premeditated. I still needed to build a product. I still needed to go to work. You know, there's no magic wand or, you know, magic carpet or, you know, still a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of hours. But I had to have these systems because I just truly believed that they would work. So if I give you an example of the number one, like the business models was around business judo and things like that, the business of thirds. But the, the, the one thing about the business, I had to have the ability to be able to do time duplication. So I had to have the ability to be able to duplicate myself, duplicate my products, and then as a result of that, duplicate the money. And I did. That was all my business model Fantastic. was, duplicate myself, duplicate the products, and then when I made the money, duplicate the money. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. There's a, a couple of massive takeaways there already. So, mate, for the for the uninitiated, talk us through Renet. What's what was it? Well, Renet was you know started as one property. I, I listed my in laws' house on the. You remember I said I was doing those local portal things. Well, I listed my in laws' mm-hmm. house on this local portal, and out of that, I had other people say, "Well," and we sold it right. Just advertised it online. 
Then other people said, oh, can you list my house? So sure. And I started doing these little private listings and and then I was already looking after a few because I was doing a bit of website design and I won't include any of that as far as the startup journey goes. It was just process learning. You know, I, I started making this little portal around the, the real estate agents. So when I said I wanted to offload the real estate so I could go back to the accommodation solution, I started making it so these agents could be self-sufficient. They could upload their own photos. They could upload their own text, put it on their own website without involving me. So, and that was as simple as the solution was. So that obviously then worked. And then you know, I started duplicating that from Coffs. I went to Port Macquarie. I went to the Gold Coast. I found agents around the place liked it. So I started duplicating more of what I was doing. As far as those um, localized things I was providing for the agents around their websites. Anyway, long story short was... Then it evolved from there to being a full data distribution. So in other words, you could put it in, not only did an agent list it on their own website, it listed it on all the advertising portals. It became a CRM, not just a CRM internally, it became a CRM externally as well for all the little alerts and managing potential buyers, potential sellers, teams. So in the end, if you've ever used a real estate agent to buy or sell, you would go through Renet and you wouldn't even know you did, but you'd go through that process of being entered in a database, being sent an alert, sent an email or a message, and we helped run real estate agents' businesses. But essentially what I did was I just kept on asking them what they wanted. I'd put more and more solutions in that made their life easier so they could work smarter rather than harder, and they would pay me for it. <laughs> yeah, and and rightly so. <laughs> Look, I, I, I had a great business. It was a great philosophy. I didn't care what the competition was doing. I only cared what my clients were doing. And and, part, and yeah. part of that duplication was, you know, Mr. Smith Real Estate would say, you know what, could you do this with the software? I'd go, yep, because that gave me time, uh, sorry, product duplication. So I improved it here, it gave me something else to sell there. So I, I just build on top, build on top, build on top. And every business has a way of doing time duplication. And, uh, you know, I still had to punch code and I still had to do all sorts of things, but every business can do time duplication. Whether you're a builder or a mechanic, you can still duplicate. Yeah. It's leverage, right? That's the, isn't that the key for business? <laughs> leverage. Well, that goes back to the business judo. Um, yeah, 100% leverage. Yeah. Awesome. So you started with one client and and how, how far did it go? Where How big did it get? Well, yeah, so in the end... Well, I started with half a dozen real estate agents around Coffs Harbour where I was looking after their websites like manually. There was no databasing or CRMs or anything. It was all manual. So I then I went to them obviously when I had this little solution. I didn't charge – well, I told them it was going to cost them 100 bucks a month, but I didn't charge them. I said, I just want to yeah, – this is what we're going to do in the future and blah, blah, blah. So this was in September 2001. I didn't start billing them till December because I needed to – I needed them to say yes. I went home and made sure the software would work, everything I promised they needed to get. Um, <laughs> in fact, I told him I was going to start billing them in November, but I, I, I wasn't ready, so I didn't start billing them until December. So the money wasn't important. The system was important, not the money. So anyway, I um, started billing them in December. Yeah, I don't know. It's There's so many stories I can give about it and, and that process of what I did. And a lot of people go, oh, yeah, but it's easy because it was technology. But, you know, technology was just the vehicle I used. Technology was just the yeah. vehicle I used. I saw it as smart, don't get me wrong. So, but I had to go and learn it. I had no foundation at all other than that bit at high school and and spreadsheets. I mean, I had to just learn what I needed to learn. And, and I think anybody out there who's built apps and software and platforms and stuff like that, and I'll, you know, I've been involved in startups who do that, know it is not easy even in itself, let alone making sure that the software supports a functioning and viable business model. So, so yeah, I, I 
Geez, I don't think tech's easy at all. No, it's not <laughs> easy. It's 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 leveraged. It's smart. It's the future, but it's 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 challenging. If it wasn't challenging, everyone would do it, and it'd be worth nothing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the things I just want to probe a little bit there is is I, I kind of love that you went to a couple of customers and you talked to them about this idea. Basically, they were buying off you before you were necess- You know, before you'd actually built the whole solution. I know you had stuff behind it, but and I, and I kind of like that that from the perspective that. I still think there's a lot of people out there who have this if I build it, they will come mentality. And and without testing the market and asking customers, would you pay for this? And uh and I think that's a bit of a trap with tech, right? You know, you can get so deep into it that you love what you're doing. You're you know, you kind of buy your own kind of BS and you get all excited about it, but customers sort of might not be so enthusiastic, shall we say. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. And if I go back to – I didn't finish answering the last question, where did it get to? But anyway, so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap that up again now as well. But, yeah, you know, I, I yeah. focused on what my clients wanted the whole time. So they were that was part of the business judo, you know, so, you know, collaboration, network, leverage, win-win-win, positive mental attitude is business judo, right? And that whole leverage off my clients was the most important thing I could do. Well, what do you want? You know, I was collaborating, but they were paying me to collaborate, not the other way around. It was perfect business judo. Anyway, but in the end, you know, by doing that more and more and more, I started creating industry solutions. So not just for the real estate agents, but for people within the industry, like the data providers, like RP Data or the real estate institutions or the so all of a sudden I just had people, I was perfectly situated right in the middle as perfect business judo to create solutions for more and more people. It took years to get that reputation, but that was part of my, I'm not in competition with anyone. I'm here, you know, I don't mind if you use two software products or three software products. As long as you're paying me, we're all happy, right? And a lot of people aren't <laughs> like that. Anyway, so going back to in the end, across Australia and New Zealand, we managed $1.125 trillion worth of real estate across Australia and New Zealand. I don't know what that would be worth now because probably in the last three years it's doubled again, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, market's great. But, you know, I think when you start talking about even billions, that's a lot of money. But when you hit over a trillion. One point, one two, trillion. Uh, and it was, that was done by um, six um, – I had to round all these figures off so I could remember them, but I'll try to give you what they were. 6,552 real estate offices across Australia and New Zealand, and it was like 17-something thousand real estate agents would log in on a daily basis to manage stuff, including admin staff and all sorts of things. So I, I rounded wow. all those figures off because I could never quite remember them exactly, but – you know, it wasn't a KPI for me. But, you know, the funny thing was I, I put that figure, that $1.125 trillion, when agents logged into the software, that, you know, I had clients that started with me and are still clients of Renet to this day, still paid their monthly fees constantly. But they saw that journey. They became a part of that journey. So they'd log in. And I remember it was like $100 million and going, wow, like, wow, we're managing $100 million. <laughs> and then it was $500 million, then it was a billion, then blah, 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 blah. And it just kept on growing. But my clients saw that every single time they logged in, that journey of growth of what we And they would talk about it. It's funny, the new owners, you know what they did? Was they took that figure off. <laughs> That's okay. It doesn't mean anything to them. Well, they didn't start with yeah. one property like I did. You know, they didn't start with that growth journey of watching that dollar value go up constantly. So for them, there was no emotional attachment, whereas I had an emotional attachment to it. The clients, the 20-year clients had an emotional attachment with it. Yeah. What's well, part of their journey? They were part, part of that, that journey, journey, right? They're the ones who helped build yeah. that. They, they're proud of it themselves. So that's that engaging and involving clients in all parts of the journey. They weren't even clients. They were part of the business. They were partners. They paid me as well, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And it's, it's, it just, it's clear that you care about your customers and you want to deliver value. So, 
Interestingly, you know, like you see a change come in like that, you know, a, a, an acquirer comes along, they buy your business, and and, I, and I'll love to explore that in a little more detail in a moment. But I just, how did it make you feel to see changes being made like that? I mean, did you feel any sort of tugs on the heartstrings? Or well, actually, we sold the business twice. So the first exit was two thousand and fifteen, January two thousand and fifteen. And I never wanted to leave Renet. It was my baby. I was happy to stay on. I committed to staying on for three more years. Uh, and I really wanted to leverage off the bigger company. Um, you know, it was Australia's largest privately owned company, right? It was a big company. I want to try to leverage off that. And anyway, 18 months into this whole journey, they, they were heavily invested in the print industry. So they ended up deciding, you know, they're having all sorts of issues, let alone little old Renet. So, yep. you know, I sort of got morphed up in them trying to exit out of their print industry. So everything sort of went dormant. So I got stuck in the end. So the, the, the 2015 was great. 2016, I felt stuck. By 2017, I'd be, I wasn't even taking the keys to work anymore. I, you know, things like I'd fly business class sometimes because, you know, it was effective for me. I was at the front of the plane. I could get on off fast. I could relax or I could sleep. I didn't have to talk to the person next to me or I could actually do some work without being sardined in the seats. That so was effective. As long as the prices weren't stupid, it was often effective use of time. So anyway, they didn't like that because they're, you know, no employees can fly business class unless it's international and they don't do any international unless it's them, right, as the owners. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll pay the extra. I don't care. Anyway, long story short was they broke me as an employer, as as an entrepreneur and made me an employee. So I stopped taking the keys to work. So when you talk about, you know, how when you exit, how things can break you, yeah. And then when the second owners came along, and that transaction happened October 2017, that's when things really changed. And, you know, they just, we were so far apart on expectations. I, I just found out I was, I already realized I was a terrible employee anyway. So 2017 made me realize that. And then <laughs> by January, I committed to the three years, January 3018, I said, oh, no, nah, this isn't working. This is not going to work. So then they, and then they started changing all the things. You're right. How did it make me feel? It, it broke me, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people feel that way, you know. It's um, and I see the range of spectrum when you know seeing clients exiting. You know, literally, I've had clients say to me, "I that they would take the lowest of the three offers because they felt that buyer would respect the business and the legacy more than the others." Um, and that they there was they were they were willing to put a price on that. So others at the other end of the spectrum and don't really care. They said, "When you buy it, it's your asset, and it's up to you. Do what you want, you know." And and that's fine too. But um, well, the issue for me was Simon that I wanted to stay. I didn't want to leave. Uh, I had a loyalty yeah. to the clients. I had a loyalty to those things. I didn't even have a plan of what I'd do if I ever had to get out. I mean, I was going to stay there forever and just be the founder, though. Have someone else be the CEO. I had all those succession plans in place except for one. Mine. I just assumed. That everything would be hunky dory. They'd have me on as the founder, and I could go to all those cool things like the golf days and the awards <laughs> things, and I'd have to rush anywhere. I have no sense of urgency anymore. And, uh, yeah. yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, it's, uh, plans, eh? Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so, so when that first transaction came along, yeah. So, did you sell the whole company? Did you hang on to some shares? What did that kind of look like? No, I sold the whole thing. Okay, hundred percent. Yeah. And and when you sold, did they? Did you? Was it? Uh, and and without you know, I don't want to go into areas that may be sensitive. So please stop me if I do. But but was it broken down into elements? Like I see a lot of clients where it might be some cash, some may be deferred, some as an earnout. Were there components of any of that, or what? What did it sort of broadly look like? 
No, it was it was one hundred percent sale with a figure I was happy with, mm-hmm. and then some upside. If we did, if we you know had some upside over the next few years, which we did, we executed at the upside as well. So yeah, did I get a did I get a bonus? Yeah, yeah. And see, awesome. I also had the uh, I also had the mental attitude that I didn't want to leave. I wasn't leaving. I was actually trying to. I'd achieved everything I wanted to achieve in life, and now I wanted to have some fun with someone else's risk instead of mine. And uh, instead of having fun with someone else's risk, you know, that was the decision I made. It didn't work out. So, you know, and I don't regret it. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing now. I'm enjoying sharing all these things with people now. And I'm getting paid, I'm getting paid really good money now, you know, from people overseas to help them grow their businesses in a smart way. You know, the Americans love it. And don't get me wrong, Australians do too, but I, I just can't believe the Americans are so go-getters. They just, you know, just tell me what I've got to do, Scotty. Tell me what I've got to do. And I give it to them and they just go and do it. They're just so self-motivated. You go, wow, yeah. it's amazing. It, it is a, it is a uh, look, you know, there's a lot culturally that we have that's similar to the US, but there, there are their differences and, you know, I'm, I'm usually COVID aside for a moment. I'm usually in the US a couple of times a year and working with other people as well. And I, I find the same thing that that sense of being entrepreneurial and go getters is is ever present when you're over there. And yeah. I, and I think conversely, Australia is a little bit more conservative. Hundred percent. Americans so, aren't afraid to stick their head up and have a go, right? And in yeah. Australia, if you stick your head up, sometimes you're frowned upon. It's like really, you know. Yeah, and I think there's, you know, I think we're getting over this now, but I think traditionally there's always been a tall poppy syndrome in Australia. You know, it's, uh, you know, I, I do believe it's changing. I do believe it's 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 slowly disappearing, but it's, you know, it takes time for that sort of stuff, I think, to go through the wash. I, I also see out of interest, um, I also see valuations uh, are more bullish in the US when we're selling private companies. You know, traditionally buyers in Australia are just far more conservative. They, you know, they're not willing to view value in the same terms and um, and therefore pay for it um, when they're buying companies here. So it's, um, yeah, look, it's, it's an interesting kind of um, scenario. Out, out of interest, when you sold your business, so you, you're fundamentally, uh, you know, you are a tech-based business, even though you're, yep. I'd say you're still a people business, but when you sold... How was the number arrived at? Was there a methodology that was broadly discussed? You know, we often hear of multiples of EBITDA or multiple of revenue or whatever, but... Yeah, in the end, it was it came down simply to multiples um, as a simple way of doing it, and the multiples, multiples were fine. And like I said, the upside for me was, you know, at the time, I could hang around and do some awesome things and, you know, de-risk and still have some fun with someone else's money and... You know, I'm sort of set up. So, yeah. you know, it, it was enough for me to go through with the transaction on the upside. You know, if I wasn't with that upside, I probably wouldn't have been as happy. But the upside for me at the time in 2015 was good or the end of 2014 because it didn't settle till January 30, right? So it was all done and dusted in December 14, but the transaction happened in, you know, a month later. So, yeah, you know, yeah. I was happy with, it, with the, the deal we put together. To me, it was a good win-win-win. Was it a multiple of EBITDA or was it revenue yeah. or is there an up? Yes, essentially, just a nice way of doing it is off, you know, the EBIT, so, which is fine. Yep. Nothing yep. wrong with that. Yeah, and, uh, oh, look, it's very normal. It's just, uh, you know, it's. I think most people are kind of curious when they're thinking about their own business, you know, like, oh, well, what should I be thinking about, you know, is it a and, – and I often get asked, you know, what's – Typical for a typical multiple in my industry, and of course, I always sort of say, "Gosh, you're asking the wrong question." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, don't use a rule of thumb. Demonstrate why you're different and why you should be 
you know, paid above average. It's, um, you know, if you're not sure how to do that, then then ask somebody else and get get, get to work, right? Yes, <laughs> it's got to be pretty unique to be getting anything more than a one to a three multiple. You know, you've got to be having something pretty cool, right? Yeah, look, it depends on what you're doing. I mean, we, we've um, we sold a couple of businesses last year that were up around a five multiple of EBITDA, um, and they were they were not a run-of-the-mill business. You know, they were very exceptional businesses, and I think there's lots of factors, right, over a certain size and variables, and, and, and let's be real, how important are you to your buyer? <laughs> you know, how big is the problem you solve for them? And so, so yeah, look, obviously there's lots involved. I got, I got well above average multiple, so I was happy. Yeah. But I also yeah, had the upside. Right. So the upside for me was what else could we do? You know, that was the reason yeah. why I went through the transaction because there was the what else. I wanted to be there for the next part. You know, I, I started this with one property and one client, if you like. You know, I'd had that journey and I, I you know, wore all that risk. If you go, say, 2002 to 2015, you know, for, for that 13 years, I wore all the risk, lost all my hair. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, okay, well, well shit, I'm here, right? I'm happy. I'm happy now. You know, he who dies with the most toys still dies. I'm really happy. I'm really, really happy to de-risk. You know, my kids had been IT savvy or even remotely looking forward to that sort of area. I never would have got out. It would have been just a family business, but they just weren't. They wanted to be in construction and all sorts of things. Like, oh, well, I'm not hanging around until I'm 60, put it that way, in case they get changed their mind. Yeah. Isn't it funny? Because there's, there's a couple of key things to just what you've said there that, that I, I think is really interesting for, for all of our listeners is that, you know, we see a lot of family business now where businesses just aren't handing down. And, uh, and, and once again, full scope of reasons, right? I had one client say to me, oh, I've got a son, he's 21, but I wouldn't give him my business. He's a freaking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to have a little chuckle. I was like, well, maybe a bit harsh, but I don't know the lad. So, uh, but, but right to the other end of often we're living in the most educated sort of time in history, right? I mean, there's more access to information now than ever. And I just sort of think how many kids actually look at their parents and go, well, actually, I'm just, that's just not my thing and I've got options. I've got choice. I'm educated. I can go and do what I kind of want, and isn't that the beauty of this, the world we live in? But yeah, I just see less and less businesses are being handed down, um, which I think is a real interesting shift in the way we we live and work and do what we do in society. Yeah. I mean, I would have loved to have had a family business, but it just wasn't going to happen. So I went. Yeah. Well, I think that's when you love it, like you did. Like it's nice to think. Oh, imagine if my kids loved it as much as I did, and you can step back and kind of watch them bloom and grow. The well, there was three. Front. There was three exit strategies I had. One was you know, family, so I realised that wasn't going to happen, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't want to drive it. They had to want to do it. Uh, the second one was the exit, and the third one was like internal succession planning. You know, or, or yep. when I say internal, whether it was like you know putting out shares within clients and or, or staff or something else like that. So when I, when 2015 unfolded, it was like you know, and that was sort of in order of how I wanted to do it. By the way. So mm, mm. in the end, that's just the way it unfolded. So, man, I was happy. I was very happy. I mean, not, put it this way, I was 43 when I could have just stopped working. You know, in the end, I stopped working when I was 46. And, you know, I, I, I could, I've had time now just to probably live my 20s again, which, you know, I never really had 20s. Yeah. Now I'm having my 20s. <laughs> I just able to do a lot more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, a bit of the personal question, mate. You've got kids? Yeah, I've got two boys. Two boys, and how old are they now? Well, they're turning 18 and 23 this year, so they're not 18 or 23 yet. So the end of the year. Yeah, okay. 
So uh, no doubt going to be looking forward to grandkids hopefully one day. So. Well, when that happens, it happens. Well, the, the oldest son now, I've been trying to tell him to buy real estate for the last couple of years, just, you know, and he's just buying his first house now. Is it a good time or bad time to buy? Who knows? But anyway, he's just buying his house. I'm happy. It's it's, it's a funny one. You know, I've got a uh, good friend of mine in, in real estate who's um, he runs a very successful practice. And, um, you know, he once said to me over a beer, you know, we're a bunch of mates, and he said, Okay, everybody here in this group, put your hand up if you wish you bought uh, property 10 years ago. This was around, by the way, around whether it was a good time to buy property. And he said, you know, so put your hand up if you wish you bought property 10 years ago. And of course, everyone went, yeah, well, obviously. And he said, well, how many are you going to, if I ask the question again in 10 years' time, how many are you going to put your hand up again and say, well, I wish, I, I wish I'd bought? So at the end of the day, like, play the long game. <laughs> you can get too caught up in some of the minutiae, but, you know, think of the future and invest, basically. Well, you know, when you talk about that time duplication, I said duplicate money, right? It turns out I sat next to in high school, and I wasn't very good at economics, but the chick I sat next to in economics in my HSC went on to become the international vice president of EMI Records. Anyway, wow. I, I saw her about five years ago. I might have been more, six years ago. Anyway, I saw her, whatever it was, and um, we were just, oh, hey, how you going? Yep, yep, good. Oh, she goes, oh, how's the prices of real estate here? We, sh- we should have bought a couple of properties, and I went, I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> More than a couple. I've been buying them all along, right? So, yeah. yeah. Then you're right. Yeah, well, it's, you've got to have a go, right? Got to get out there. Yep, you're right. So just coming back to um, to, to Renet for, uh, for a moment, so you sold the business. Obviously, you'd prefer to have done family and then maybe done some sort of employee share, you know, you hold on to share, step back maybe a bit and let, let the business continue growing as it was you sold. I was just sort of curious, uh, how did that kind of sale come about? Like were you approached? Did you come to a conclusion that, you know what, it's time to sell and, and go looking for a buyer? Yeah, no, I had to have, along the way I had plenty of people ask about it and without getting into names, even some of the conversations were really good. And then I thought, well, it's time. So I went and saw a merchant banker who specializes in our industry and said, okay, well, it's time. And I don't have to pay him anything unless he had success. And I didn't. I paid him a success fee if he, if he did the transaction, which was good money. After the transaction, I went, man, I paid him a lot of money. But anyway, he did the <laughs> transaction. Everyone was happy. And he, he really did his work in that you know, the 12th hour when pulling it together and all the emotional stuff's going on with solicitors and you know all that stuff. And he really made his money in the end. But he also did all the work mm. at the start preparing it all. And um, he got the transaction across the line. He got paid. And he also got paid when I got the kick because that was part of the deal. You know, I was happy to offer him some money. That's business judo. If you make everything work, we all win. Well, then we all win. Yeah, no, that, I think that makes sense. I think a lot of people make this mistake of thinking selling a business is like selling their home. They love to draw these analogies. Oh, you know, like it's, you know, <laughs> and, and these days it seems like in, in Sydney, I know it is harder than this, but it's, you know, pr- property in key areas, whether it be Sydney, Melbourne, even where, where you know, whether it's Sawtell, if the market's moving, houses seem to move fairly quickly. And the psyche of Australians is we're very we're very accustomed to and we're very conditioned to buy property, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, we're taught it's the dream, it's the, you know, I'm not saying everyone gets there and not everyone makes the leap, but, you know, how many people have walked in and last Saturday to a property and they walked around, they might have looked at a simple pest and building inspection and, and that's it. They're in the house for 15 minutes and they're willing to make an offer of a couple of million bucks. Um, like that's a massive decision on such short, uh, small due diligence, right? And then and, and I think the only way people can make those decisions is with this kind of cultural preconditioning. And I'm just fascinated because that does not translate to business. <laughs> yeah, and, well, business sale doesn't translate, no. 
Yeah, that's right. So, and and I think too, people people underestimate, I guess, how complex a business sale can be and how much work is involved. It's- it doesn't happen with the good businesses. Mm. I mean, if you've got a bad business or it's going out, you're selling it cheap, well, that's a different story. But if you're trying to get your good multiples, you're trying to get some upside, you're trying to get those things, well, it's a different story, right? Yeah. Someone's going to come along and go, well, you know, you want me to put my hand in my pocket for what? They want to know what the what is. You know, because it's interesting you use that analogy because, you know, every every property I've ever bought, I have never done a, a building inspection on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. I can already see the pimples and spots. I'm trying to buy the worst place in the, in the town. In the right? I'm trying street. to buy the yeah. worst house in the best street. I'm like... <laughs> I already know it's not looking good. I got upside <laughs> yeah, yeah. on it. I, I know that. I don't need a builder to tell me. But with business, I was buying a, you know a cheap, the cheapest house. But if you're going to double that valuation, well, then it's different. You need to do a few more inspections. And what pimples and spots are they hiding? And business is the same. Yeah. In yeah. fact, I've just written. A, I've just co-authored a book, which we're just releasing now on you know build a business you can sell. Yep. How to make yep. the most money now and when you sell. And we've just co-authored it with a, a business investor from America. So she's come from the perspective of the helping people sell their businesses and, and or put them on the stock market. She does that sort of thing. And I've obviously gone through the transaction from my side. So we've we've chosen to co-author a book. Yeah, lovely. But, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when you do come time to sell. People want to know. They want to look under the bonnet. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, and you know, everyone's got advisors. Everyone knows it's business, right? This is it's, uh, and I think there's just a different level of scrutiny. But um, and so there should be, right? I mean, people need to be careful of what they're buying and investing in. So you know, yeah, I guess that, that goes with the territory. Yeah, yeah, Scotty. I know a lot of people will be listening to this and and you know, be fascinated with your journey. I think you know, it's. Uh, You've come out of this. It's been successful. You've you, obviously there's been things that that didn't work out the way you thought it would, but clearly you know you've, you're living a happy and a fulfilled life. What what are you doing now? What are you doing business wise other than write, co-authoring books? Like how have you <laughs> how have you packaged up and what what you know? How have you taken all that experience and 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 how are you you know remaining fulfilled and continuing to add value? Well, I wanted to leave a legacy for my kids. You know, when they when they want to start their own company, they'll they'll probably then be old enough to go, oh, what did dad do? Dad did all right, right? So I wanted to leave a legacy and I started looking at writing books and then I still have got the basis of those done um, on my own knowledge base, not so much the co-authoring. You know, so I've, through COVID, I started getting asked to do a lot more speaking and sharing the story, just international Zooms, which is great for me because, like I said, I like the American market. I grew up in an American insurance company, so I like the American market. The go get them attitude, the you know, the high achieving, goal setting, rah rah Americans. Well, I grew up in that environment yep. as my apprenticeship. So now I, I spend my time just, um, I've, I've put the videos together, I've, I share for free what people can go and do to put these systems in their own business, create their own systems, uh, leverage off what I've got. And that's what I'm doing now. I spend time coming on Simon's podcast, sharing information to help motivate and inspire people that they can do it. You know, as a D class student, I went on this journey. I often wonder, man, imagine if I was a little bit smarter. Imagine if I actually knew what I was doing, right? So now I'm trying to help people know what they're doing with whatever else they already know so they can achieve it in half the time. So that's what I spend a lot of time doing now is just trying to share that story. It's my way of giving back, I guess. And, yeah. um, and I, I, look, I still get paid handsomely to do things anyway, so sharing a bit of knowledge around the place is easy for me to do. And but you know, and that's a good point about you know getting paid for what you do and all the rest of it. I mean, uh, you kind of made this point when you sold your business, right? I mean, you, you're willing to pay people when they're delivering value to you, and I think that's I think that's any business owner that's listening to this, well, I think would be nodding their head and agreeing with yeah. that. Right? It's uh, you know, if you can add value, it's worth something, and it's you know, um, and that makes a lot of sense. And I don't think anybody begrudges that at all. 
Mate, I'm going to ask you in a, in a moment, uh, I'll, I'll sort of put you on the spot a little bit, but I'll, uh, I'd love you if, you, if there's one tip that you would love to share with your fellow entrepreneurs, I'd, uh, I'd love you to share that. Prior to doing that, mate, is there a good way that people can reach out and get in contact with you? Are you on LinkedIn? What's the best way for people to touch base if they want to? Yeah, well, people, uh, they can follow us on LinkedIn um, is probably the easiest way to follow. Uh, the best way to get knowledge if you want it on tap is just to log into system1357.com. So that's all there. It's free. costs nothing to join, nothing to watch my videos. Um, or you can wait for me to push stuff out on social media. Or you can go watch 200-odd videos that I share all this information with. So there's, you know, System 1357. There's no catches. I found it was better for me instead of drip-feeding out bits and pieces. I structured a bit of knowledge and I put it in there as a course around sales or leadership or business development. And people just go watch it, bang, and then have that epiphany moment themselves and off they go. Or you can yeah. wait for me to drip feed this stuff on social media. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Both are free. It's just one you can actually go and do and one you can wait for. But there's certainly oodles and oodles of information in there. Yeah, you want to be proactive or do you want to be passive, right? So, okay, well, that's great. Well, listen, for those listening, I'll, uh, we'll put up links to, to Scotty's uh, LinkedIn profile where you can follow him and some links to those websites. Um, so, you know, make it easy for everyone, any, anyone who wants to go and look that up. Scotty, I've been really enjoying having you on here. So, um, mate, it is for your fellow entrepreneurs, they're out there still on their journey, still trying to get to their end game. You know, is, is there one thing, oh, there's probably lots of things, but can you pick one thing that you'd, you'd share with them today? Look, if there's one thing that made, well, there's probably a heap of things, but if there's one thing, um, just quickly, the, the, the thing that made Renet work the most was my ability to be able to sell. So anytime you can do some sales training or sales knowledge for you or your team, it's the biggest difference because without sales, there's no clients. Without clients, there's no money. If there's no money, there's no interest. <laughs> yep. so number one yep. is sales, obviously. But the, the reality is, though, we're in the people-building business, and that is what we're in. You mentioned it earlier, but I 100% believe that we are always in the people-building business. So I didn't build software. I built people up. So I hired smarter programmers than me. I hired better support people than me. I hired all these people who are better than me at doing the jobs. And we went in and got jobs done. And we created a company. I created opportunities and I just kept on building people. I helped the real estate agents build their business. I helped staff build their careers. You know, was it always perfect? No, but I was always in the people building business. And that's what I learned in the 90s. The insurance was just what we did on a day-to-day basis, but that wasn't what the business was. The business was the people building business. And that is, I think, nearly 100% of businesses. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Look, I agree. Business exists. It's a, it's a people centric, it's a people creation, right? It's, it's, if it wasn't for people, there'd be no business. So I do love that point about being able to sell. And if I can just backtrack onto one of your comments earlier, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that still have this kind of negative connotation around what sales means. And, and those who think they can go out and, do the old-fashioned, you know, trickery and convince people to buy things they don't want or need. You know, I, I think people still think that that's what sales is, and it's not. You know, to, to me, sales is exactly what you said before, was asking your customers, the, the people you want to work with, what do you want? What do you need? What problem can I solve? You know, and, and if you can simply ask that question and then deliver what people need, that's sales. <laughs> and in the system around sales, I just talk about the hotspot the hurt or the need. You know, if there's not any of those three, you can't do anything. There's no trickery. There's just nothing. You're just trying to, like a dog chasing a car. So there has to be a hot spot, a hurt or a need. And then you're not really selling. You're listening. You're listening to what you want and if you can do it. And if you can, you should be able to do a transaction together. 
you know, so sales isn't sales, but it has to be the category of it's not production, it's not marketing, it's selling. So there's definitely a category for it. But the reality is we don't sell anything. People buy. So as a salesperson, you let people buy, but you still have to go and talk to people. You still have to have those conversations and you still have to be aware that you are in that front line, you're front of house, you're in a sales environment. So selling is not a dirty word. It often is. But the reality is we don't sell nothing. People buy. Mm. And you've got to create an environment for people to buy in. That's a fantastic tip. Fantastic tip. Scotty, uh, mate, I'm really grateful. Um, I, I really appreciate your time. I appreciate you sharing your story. You know, these there's little din- ins and outs of your journey will no doubt add a lot of value to people and, and clearly you're continuing to add that sort of value today. So, mate, thanks for making the time and, and thanks for coming on the show. You're welcome, Simon. The ultimate freedom is to own a company that is valuable, scalable, and saleable. Find out how you score on the eight factors that drive company value by completing the Value Builder questionnaire. Upon completion, we will send through your business scorecard so you can see how to maximize the value of your company. Just go to exitadvisory.com.au forward slash scorecard. The Buy, Grow, Sell podcast is brought to you by Exit Advisory Group a boutique M&A firm that helps business owners maximize company value and exit at the top of their game. To learn more about Exit Advisory Group, you can go to exitadvisory.com.au. And if you like what you've just heard, you can subscribe at buygrowsell.com to get a new episode delivered to your inbox each week. Thank you for listening to the Buy, Grow, Sell podcast with Simon Bedard. For complete show notes with links to additional resources, visit buygrowsell.com forward slash episodes. Simon is the founder and CEO of Exit Advisory Group, and you can follow him on LinkedIn.